that'll preach right there. I can just do the mic drop at that point. Um, so, uh, of course, Boise Bible College is with us um, this morning, or at least some representatives of Boise Bible College. Um, and so, um, can, can we give Dr. Voorhees a hand? Thanks for being here. This is super cool. Super cool. Um, this is the first time I get to do kind of an interview-style message. So um, you guys see me up here doing all kinds of stuff, you know, preaching it, telling stories. Um, but this is the first time we get to do kind of interview-style. And um, Boise Bible College is a Bible college in Boise. We'll talk a little bit more about um, what that is. But one kind of fun fact about the Dallas Church staff is both Ben and I are products of that school. We both went there and um, when I graduated and I was coming out to Dallas, um, da Boise Bible College said, hey, you need to talk to this guy out there named Ben Bauman. So, and I'm really glad I did, because you fast forward a little while, uh, and this is where we're at. So now, I, I am gonna take a poll real quick. So because Ben and I went to the same school, um, I'm gonna have you guys guess who got better grades at that school. So how many of you guys think Ben got better grades while he was at Boise Bible College. How many of you guys think Ben got better grades? Okay, now he teases me for being a nerd all the time. So how many of you guys think that I got better grades while I was at Boise Bible College? Man, man, okay. So I was looking at your diploma um, and dude, you graduated summa. Like you got summa cum laude. Like Ben had better grades than me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was magna cum laude, so I was close, um, but yeah, so, and that's why he's the senior, right, because he's, yeah, yeah, he's got this. So I'm just so glad that uh, Dr. Voorhees gets to share with us today. We're going to be talking about this, this concept of being an intergenerational church, which is a big phrase basically meaning that we're a church for everybody, and if you look around Dallas Church, that's one thing I really like about Dallas Church is we've got some people who are grandparents, we've got some people who are empty nesters, um, we've got probably our, our youngest, we got a little baby in here today, and so Lyric is like all the way down, so really young, we also got some, some people with a lot of wisdom, and that's really cool, so we want to follow Jesus together and do that well, and sometimes that takes some intentionality, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, before we jump in, I've got two kind of stories I'd like to share about Dr. Voorhees, um, just so you guys get to know him. So his title, he's the president of Boise Bible College, and, and that title is a really cool title, but you should not be intimidated by it, because he's a super cool, super fun guy who um, really connects with students and college students. And so kind of two fun stories. There was one time um, for like a Halloween event, we did a zombie apocalypse short film um, that we did to promo this event. And Dr. Voorhees was willing to like come in with a crossbow and a tie tied around his head and come in and do this scene for us. And we really appreciated you participating in that. Um, and then last year, as part of the uh, program I was at in Phoenix, um, part of that program is a trip to Israel. And both Dr. Voorhees and his wife Nell got to go with us on that trip, and so that was super cool. Like, you know, he, he and I were crawling over first century sites everywhere and like pulling up the artifacts and archeology span and snapping a bazillion pictures. Um, and one of those times, we went to the site where uh, Jesus cast the demons out of um, the one guy who had a, a legion of demons in him and he cast them out into the pigs and they, they ran in the water and you can read that story in the Gospels. So I had in my bag a, some bacon jerky 
that I brought with me because I was like, what's the one thing I'm not going to get in Israel that I might really want at some point is bacon. So I had packed some bacon, and what more appropriate moment than when we're standing on the edge of this mountain where Jesus, like, cast the demons into the pigs, we, we ate bacon right there. So that was kind of, our, kind of our moment. That was so much fun. So, yeah, yeah. And, and Dr. Voorhees, he has so much humility, so much wisdom, and kind of comes to that role um, and really has kind of helped, helped me as a, as a young man in Bible college kind of sand those rough edges off. Um, even before I showed up to do ministry here. So, you know, if, if I do anything good in, in the kingdom, a lot of that is due to this guy right here pouring into me. Um, and, and as we talk about intergenerational church, I'm the product of some intergenerational mentorship as Dr. Voorhees came alongside me. And then um, after that, Ben came alongside me and, and even some of our elders and people who have poured into me. And so I want us to keep doing that as a church to find other, other young people that we're pouring into um, as we try and reach this next generation. So with that, um, Dr. Voorhees, could you share a little bit just about, um, about your hometown, career in ministry, kind of your story, um, kind of in a short segment right there. Yeah, first, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Ben. This is a privilege for Nell and I to be here. We've never been with this church before. So I'm from Illinois originally and uh, went, went to Ozark Christian College, sort of a Boise Bible College similar school with no real ambitions to do what I'm doing at all. I just wanted to do something for the kingdom and went there and graduated four years later and stepped into a, a youth ministry just up in Hillsboro, uh, just west of Portland. It was my first time to cut some teeth and for 23 years or so located church ministry from Oregon to Colorado, Texas, um, Illinois. And um, along the, the path uh, with uh, Nell having three children and, and some uh, degrees of study, just because I, I love to get into the scriptures and make it relevant for people, um, had the credentials to be asked by Boys Bible College if I would consider uh, being a faculty member. And so eight years ago, joined the faculty, and then two years ago, uh, lessened my teaching load to take on this new responsibility. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah. And can you, can you share with us a little bit about what um, Boise Bible College is and, and what they do and maybe a little bit about what makes the school unique? Yeah, so uh, Boise Bible College is a college that strives to equip servant leaders for the church. Uh, we believe that a healthy, vibrant church is where the gospel is going to be lived out in a relevant way in, in their city, the county, the, the context of that church. And so we're about equipping, preparing, training leaders for the church so, so that a healthy church would then manifest the gospel in relevant ways. And we view that worldwide. I mean, we're in Boise and we're a region in the Northwest, but we have a global scope. So kind of what makes us unique in that is um, all of our degrees are geared towards uh, leadership capacities within the church. Um, many of those are vocational geared degrees. So uh, you know, whether it's a, a worship degree or a preaching degree or a teaching degree or a small groups degree or, or a, a various degrees that would be leadership capacity degrees for the local church. Um, but if a student were to come for a year, you know, it's like uh, I have one student in my head that uh, when we lived up in Portland he says, I, I'm coming for a year. I'm going to be an architect. Don't twist my arm. I'm not going to become anybody else. And we didn't. And so we honored his career path and he's a strong Christian young man but it's like 
if we have them for a year, we want them to have a little more biblical training and to love his church, whatever that church is going to be, and to be the amazing volunteer for that church. So there are degrees are geared vocationally. If a student were to come for one or two years, our hope and our prayer is that they would uh, be so minded that they wouldn't be an awesome volunteer for a church like this. Uh, maybe not necessarily hired for that. We're unique, I think. Uh, we have an ache at the church, and our, our assessment of the northwest is northwest part of the, I'm talking Alaska all the way to Utah and the eight states. Um, and that the church is struggling um, in this context because of just a biblical illiteracy in our world. I don't mean that with people not knowing the Bible. I'm talking about people living the wisdom of the Bible and not even having like a like an optic lens through which to see everything in their in their life, in their career, in their marriage, in their parenting, and so, so we're if we're we're unique in that we're not quitting on on our core for all of our degrees is a biblical core, so that students would really acquire or reacquire or become stronger in a biblical worldview, a biblical lens, a biblical template through which they can do whatever career. If they stay for four years, they're going to have a, a church-focused career. But I think that kind of makes us unique. I would say another thing that kind of makes us unique is, uh, is we, you heard it on the video. Maybe you didn't catch that. We, besides our degree track and all of our academic, we have, we have an element we call waypoints. Uh, a waypoint is like you know, uh, a point you would use when you're hiking in, in some mountains and you got your compass and you got a waypoint and you kind of, from here to here, how do I get there? And so... For four years, each, each year we have points that students go through that are not, it's not you know, they don't pay tuition for it, or it's just a character building issue. So biblically aware, socially aware, knowing who they are, aware of their gifting, their personality, uh, we really are intentional about that. We're a, uh, we're a soft skill sort of a school. We're a people-oriented school. We're, we help students communicate well in a variety of platforms. And... Um, you know, I think that's a unique trait for who we are in a, uh, in a culture that's looking for other careers. But one more thing, I think people, the students will come, whether they're here for a year or four, uh, and they'll know their place in the mission of God. We're unapologetic, whether, whether it's in our mentoring culture or our, our grading culture or it's in the cafeteria. If we can help students figure out their pla- who they are in Christ and, and their place in the mission of Christ. Again, if they're there for a year or four years, we've won. If they can get a little further down that road so that they can be an investment into the mission goal that Jesus has. I think that's pretty much who we are. In a yeah, quick that, that's really good. Yeah, and then you've got those four core values that you were talking about in the video. So we yeah. saw those. How do those kind of influence um, how you're doing academics? But that's only mm-hmm. scholarship is only one quarter of those values. So how does that work? Sure. So our four guiding values, they really are guiding our vision and our mission. They're framing up everything that we do from from our high standards of academic rigor that we need to meet in the eyes of the Department of Education out of DC and we're regionally accredited or we're we're, we're not we're, we're we're nationally accredited, I mean, and so we've got some high standards we're going to meet. Scholarship is a big deal for us. Students that transfer in from other universities or or community colleges um, it, it's, it's a wake-up call. It's just we're stout in, with regards to our academic training. We have no apologies for that because the mission of God is that important. But if we graduate um, arrogant scholars, right, so our second value is a humility. 
And we mean that intentionally, that, you know, we haven't cornered the market on doctrine or theology. We're, we're, we have a lot we can learn. We're, we're not the only Christians. And so to graduate students that are scholarly, humble servant leaders, um, that's, a, that's a priority of ours. What's it mean to really serve with the knowledge that I have? Um, and a third uh, element, a third value is our community. That would be our on-campus community where we have a culture, sort of an ecosystem, maybe a greenhouse effect of mentoring, of discipling. But our community of understanding uh, the, the opportunities to link arms with other churches, to become allies with other churches, other um, mission organizations or parachurch organizations. So, and our fourth value is innovation, where we're trying to be relevant. We're not. We're trying to do the biblical way in a in a creative way. And what what's fun for Nell and I as we travel is we get to um, eavesdrop in on creative things that are happening, like at churches like this. That helps us bear in mind ways that we could try to continually be innovative in our classroom and opportunities for like internships for our students to gain an innovative experience of ministry from this sort of a church. That only helps us as an institution. Those values, scholarship, humility, community, and innovation are guiding us forward. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and one, one other thing I really appreciate, I've seen Dr. Voorhees do this in many situations, is you speak both the language of um, those who've graduated from the college and those who kind of support um, mm -hmm. the college and so maybe, um, and, and that older generation, but you also, when it comes to your classes, you know, you're tailoring it to um, that situation of a young adult and you speak yeah. the language of the next, um, of the, you know, this up and coming generation and so. Trying to, so yeah. I mean, we, we try to hire, our faculty for example, we hire faculty that have that have church experience, so they understand the real world. They're not just brainiacs. They understand what it means to actually invest into these students. And uh, to our to the word equip in our mission statement, um, you know, some of the history of that word. Do you remember when Jesus first called his disciples uh, the fishermen? They were mending their nets. It's the same word. They were equipping their nets because their nets were broken and they, they weren't catching fish as it was designed. So we take that word literally. We're not counselors professionally, but we're seeing more and more students with the breakdown of the family and, and identity issues that we're about not just scholarship, but about helping them know who they are and preparing them by, by equipping them, maybe healing them. And that's, that's a, that takes some extra effort on our part, but it's a part of what we do. So our classroom isn't just lecturing. Our classroom is over the lunchtime mm. or at a coffee shop. We just value that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, pivoting a little bit, um, what is kind of the model that the New Testament puts forwards as far as churches and that idea of being an in, in intergenerational church, mm. a church for everybody regardless of um, you know, whatever life stage they're in. Um, so w what does that look like in scripture that we can apply here at Dallas Church? Yeah, I think some of the letters of Paul, uh, the apostle, addressing churches and some of the issues they have give us a hint at some of the intergenerational, intergenerational issues. There's, if you haven't read the book of Titus, the letter that he wrote to the, his apprentice named Titus, Titus was stationed on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. And in Titus chapter 2, uh, this is what Paul says to his young Padawan learner in Crete. <laughs> he says this, uh, but as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then he says this, listen to the intergenerational words. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what's good so they may encourage the young women... 
to love their husbands, to love their children. Just in two verses, you got grandparents and parents and children. And so even on the island of Crete in the first century, Titus is, is, is challenged with this intergenerational issue right there. That becomes a helpful thing. There's, you read that, Titus chapter 2, there's a lot of character traits in there for every generation that we have. And so what I think is the intergenerational church that we see in the church uh, in the first century is we just move from seasons of responsibility. Uh, no one's exempt from responsibility. Uh, everybody has a, has, a, has a function in the life of the family, and that family would be the church family. Here's an interesting thing for me. I'm privileged to have been kind of in some other continents. America is the one that struggles with intergenerational issues. Almost every other nation outside of the world, it's so normal. Grandparents and parents and, grand and children all kind of live together in the same house. They cook together. They work together. I'm not talking, I mean, in, in the professional cities. Does that make sense? Not just rural farmers. I mean, every, see, there's, they're kind of, we're fighting something that is worldwide normative. And so we're trying to figure it out. I think we can learn a lot from what's going on with the church internationally on this intergenerational issue. That would be one scope yeah. I have. Yeah. So you talked about the responsibility um, that we have to the body of Christ um, as a family. Um, so what are, what does that look like? For, you know, what, what's the responsibility that maybe a, a young person or a high school student or mm -hmm. someone is going to bring to the church? Um, and then also just kind of all the way up, what's the responsibility of, um, of parents who, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're busy, they're raising kids, they're, you know, going from soccer match to, you know, making dinner. Um, what's, what's the responsibility look like there to the church? And then yeah. also kind of those grandparents um, or, or empty nesters. So. Well, let's, you, you keep me on track, Andrew. Okay. Let's see if we can get each of those okay. spheres, all right? Uh, for me, uh, whenever family issues come up um, or any, any issues of human life, you have oxygen in your lungs and you're trying to do something of Jesus, you have to bear in mind the, the greatest commandment in, uh, that Jesus said, love God, love people, and then the one that follows that, uh, make disciples of all nations. If we get those three in order in our families, I think a lot of things will fall into place. So love God, keep him as a priority, seek him first, love other people, that starts within the home, and don't forget your neighbor. <laughs> you know, we're about making disciples, trying, as I'm trying to be made into disciple by Jesus's presence and grace, I'm making disciples in my home first. That's an intentionality that sometimes we miss. I think we I mean, kind of let the Andrews and the Bens to kind of make disciples of my kids. And it's like, no, no, no. If these guys weren't here, it would be our responsibility. So I think that bleeds into the church naturally. Um, maybe practically with parents. Uh, Andy Stanley has some really nice, succinct things with regards to the four stages of parenting. So listen to these four stages through the disciple-making lens. I'm trying to make a Jesus follower of my kids, okay? So listen to this. He talks about years one through five, sort of the disciplining years. This is where you're, you're trying to uh, help them learn some basic things. You're trying to set some parameters. Three Ds kind of guide this idea of the one through five. Disobedience, you're trying to monitor that. Uh, dishonesty and disrespect. You know, those things are like not allowed. <laughs> but you celebrate honesty, you celebrate respect, and you celebrate on, uh, obedience. So the, uh, the flip side is that. So you're trying to discipline your kids in that regard. Five through 12, that next season is the training years, really trying to train them up uh, so that they know the why behind the what. <laughs> you know, here's why, young, young child. Here's why exploring God's world in the whys. And, and that's natural because their favorite question is, 
Why? So <laughs> run with it. <laughs> Sometimes that's my favorite question, too. It's a good so, question. You know, why? You're right. looking good for 12, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. That next Sometimes season, I act like it, like that. <laughs> so moving through the next season, years 12 through 18, is sort of this uh, coaching, the coaching year. So if you run with the metaphor of being a coach, the parent, um, not that you have it down perfectly, but the parent is a bit on the sidelines of life a little bit, where you're allowing your child to, to experience some things, and you're the coach, the, 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 you got the white lines of the soccer field of life, so they're not going to com- go complete out of bounds, but you kind of let them experience some things that maybe the game's going to bring to them, some things, lessons of life, and you kind of coach them a little bit, trying to not tell them as much as co- guiding them. And that all sets up the last phase, the 18-year-old and older, where it's the, it's the friendship years. That all the years leading up to that, the discipline years, the training years, the coaching years, and then you're actually friends. That's the goal. There's the reward. And that's, that's 18 years of, of intentional work. But that's where we want to try to go. Now, if that were to live out by God's grace, you know, through you, then you set your children up to model that sort of a template of I'm trying to make disciples of my home. Let me bear in mind these four phrases. Uh, disciplining, training, coaching, and, and befriending them. And that just gets carried over into society, into the church, into the county. So I'm a big fan, not that I have this down perfect at all with our three children, but by God's grace, we model a little bit of the life of the church in our home, and we have to just let that family be as healthy as we can. And I think the fruit of that is a healthier church, you know. And therefore, you're able to minister to families that have been broken and busted and bruised by things where the family has fractured and fallen apart where we can by grace reinstate some things that we've learned yeah so with that friendship stage what are some kind of practical things that you've and and this is this is the stage that you're in at this point where your kids are um you know across the country and um you know they're living their adult lives so so what are some um Pro tips that you would share with uh, How about helping. amateur tips? Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Semi-pro tips. So, okay. Semi-pro tips. Yeah, so there our, we, we have three kids. Uh, our youngest, Kaylee, is graduating from the college this May. So um, she's our last one. Our next son up is married just since May uh, last year. And they live in Knoxville, Tennessee, so a couple of time zones away. And we, so we FaceTime quite a bit with them. And our oldest son is married now for about five years, and they live just north of Denver, uh, worship pastor there. So we we have worked really hard. Nell has helped me just in my career and things like that. She's been um, a prayer warrior over our kids. And so we did this probably later than what I think we could have done. But we began to really lean into praying with our kids before they left our home. And even today over FaceTime, we'll, hey, can we pray for a minute? And just right there on screen to screen, we're just praying with them. That's something that it's easy to do, but it's so awkward to break through the ice of praying with your kids, you know, especially as they get, get a little older. But you know what? If, if I'm taking Jesus' command seriously to make disciples, then I've got to be mature enough and man enough to at least go through my discomfort and my inconvenience to try to figure out how to do that. Because I'm modeling something to them. I'm praying that they would be able to do that with their kids. By God's grace, of course, right? And then so. from, a, from a biblical perspective um, and, you know, looking through that lens of, what God commands us to be as the church in scripture. Um, what are some things that those of us who don't have kids, whether because we're, we're past that stage or kids at home, you know, those yeah. of us, whether because our kids have moved on um, or whether we just don't have any kids yet, um, what 
can we do to kind of rally around parents and support them mm. and um, you know help come alongside them as they're making disciples and they're walking mm. through those stages. That's a, that's a big big thing. I guess I. I guess I sense that if you have children or not, the command is still real for you as a Christ follower. So making disciples, trying to make more Jesus uh, followers, whether I have children at home or no children at all, is still something that I've got to figure out. And so if you have oxygen in your lungs, think about who you can be engaged with and, and invest in. I love the life on life idea. Life on life. And uh, that gets a little cumbersome if you, um, are, you know, are in a generation where I don't get that weird younger generation. <laughs> I don't understand them. Well, don't let that be a barrier. And the younger generation, I, they don't get me, so there's a wall there. Well, don't let that be a wall or a barrier. So both generations kind of have to be humble enough and teachable enough and overcome their fears enough that, that we can kind of invest into each other. So if you're a grandparent, I mean, what grandkids do you have in your life? Not necessarily biological. Or what, what kids do you have in your life? Not necessarily biological. You can still be a spiritual dad, a spiritual mom, no matter what age you're in, and taking that serious. Or let's go to the other side. If you're a, 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 a kid, a teenager, you know, do you have any spiritual grandparents in your life? Oh, my grandparents, they, they don't know Jesus. I'm not talking about that. Do you have any spiritual grandparents, like a, a mentor or a generation above? And, and if you don't, either generation, then I think that's worth working towards. As I've read some mentoring books at the, at the more academic level, we have three layers of mentoring. Hope this kind of relates, Andrew. Three layers of mentoring. We have the downward mentor, where we're kind of pouring into people. We're mentoring. We have the upward mentor, where we're at people's feet, and we're learning from them. But, and the peer mentoring. I think we do this really well. We do the peer mentoring. People in the same station of life and, and this. But you know what? If we're not getting those other two in, in balance... Then, then I think we're missing something. And I think that's important for each one of us, for the health of this church, for my own family. Um, um, I think it helps us carry on that disciple-making motif that, that Jesus had for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you, um, one kind of challenge facing, especially these, this up-and-coming generation, um, and we got some students kind of in that that age range um, around here in that kind of high school to college or even even your early 20s um, there's some challenges coming up we've talked we talked about um, FOMO last night and as just we were sitting down fear chatting. missing out yes yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. what are what are some things that you think through when you sit down with a young adult at the college and and they don't know what path to choose they don't know where my life needs to go after this I got so many options what does God want me to do? Mm. Uh, what's kind of your grid as you, you answer them and kind of shepherd them and come alongside them? Uh, for me, if, if a student um, is seeking some guidance, you know, I'm, I'm really smelling to see how teachable they are. <laughs> Our time's pretty precious, right? So uh, I, I don't mind asking um, some questions just to see and gauge where their heart is, but I will pray with them pretty instantly. Let's just pray about this. Let's get together every month or so. And that's a, that's a basic thing. You're intentionally meeting, disciplined to meet regularly. And you're kind of asking certain questions, right? So what do you dream about? Tell me your dreams. What, do, what are your ambitions? And have you prayed about that with Jesus? Okay. Uh, well, what are some of your skills? I see this as a skill. Would you identify that as your skill? What skills do you have that you've learned? Um, what are some of the ambitions that you just can't get around? How about your, have you identified your spiritual gifting yet? Has anybody mentored you with that? How about if we go through that? And so I, I like to kind of view it as a, as a big uh, pie with pieces. So not sure what they want to do, 
It's like, let's consider all of these things. So it isn't just my ambition. It isn't just my spiritual gift. It isn't just my skilling. It isn't just, it's all of this together. And as best as I can, I just kind of guide them. That's my, I don't try to tell. I try to just guide, and, but encourage them strongly. You've got to be in the scriptures and praying so the spirit becomes your guide. And maybe he'll use me in our conversations a little bit. We're seeing more and more students that come that are, um, that are worried about debt. They've seen it in their parents. Um, they're, cons- they're a little gray on what the future holds, not quite sure what career path they want to go to. Fear of missing out. Like, if I commit to this, that means I'm not going to be able to do anything else. And so this sort of seems uncommittal, noncommittal. I don't think that's, I don't think that's um, hazardous. It's just the way the generation is at the moment. Does that make sense? So they're not uh, intentionally trying to, to be lazy. <laughs> they just don't know. There's a bit of a fear about what this is. So first thing for me is let's get you kind of squared up with Jesus. Let's talk about some ways he's made you. And what are some things that you might consider stepping into and trying a little bit? If students are with us for four years, we get to kind of guide them and watch them and, and help them. Um, uh, if they're here for a year, it's a little more challenging, just at the college level. What you want to yeah. go any further with that? Uh, no, I, th- I think that, that's okay. good on that. Um, and then for what is something that maybe since we're talking to, to that young adult kind of time, age, life stage, right? Um, what is something that they might need to understand about the, the older generation or older generations? Mm. You know, we got, we got Xers, boomers, all that in yeah. the church. Um, so what are some things that maybe the younger generation needs to understand as, so they can receive that mentoring? Uh, probably the, we, we kind of each have generational paradigms that we view everything through, right? So we have um, certain theological fences, moral fences, family fences that, that a generation removed, it looks like they view that those th- same things through different sets of lenses. It looks like the fences have moved. They probably haven't. <laughs> it looks like things, it just looks different. And so there's a sense of the generation below us is, is missing out. They're losing something. I got to correct the course. And it may not be as much that. It's just the, it, it feels a little different from generation to generation. Um, and I think if we're just honest, that, that there's still people that, that are trying to be moral. Students are trying to be moral. They're trying to, to do the right thing. They're trying to love people and be loved. They just do it a little differently. I think that helps from generation to generation. Uh, I would say patience is a big part. Okay. Older generation being patient with that younger generation. They're not on the couch gaming because they're lazy. They're on their couch gaming because they're somewhat living through an identity of a game and winning. So how can I translate that into life? Because they don't know how to do that with life. It's never been modeled to them. Mm. They never had anybody intentionally take them out on a regular, um, I'm going to use the word date, a regular appointment. They've never had that investment. I would say those are some basic things we can do for the younger generation. Um, it, they just have to learn to trust. Mm. If, we, if the older generation is telling and telling and telling, it doesn't build any trust, doesn't foster any trust. So the younger generation will be more engaged if they feel like they're heard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and respected as flaky as they might seem to be. <laughs> okay, yeah. So and then what are some uh, ways that you've seen in your, in your ministry? This is kind of more back when you were doing like local church pastoral stuff. Yeah. How have you seen grandparents kind of knock it out of the park um, as far as making a difference in grandkids, whether they mm-hmm. get to see them every week or whether it's just, you know, every now and then that they get the opportunity to bring them to church? How, how have you seen grandparents really disciple their grandkids. Uh, I've seen a ton of success at intentional grandparenting, spiritually mentoring their grandkids. I've seen that, but the, the word is intentional. 
Um, if, if grandparenting is viewed as I, I'm now in my retirement stage, my kids are going to deal with their kids, I'm done with that, then that won't work. But if I have breath in my lungs, then the kingdom of God is still something I can invest in to my grandkids. I'm not there yet, but as I see grandparents intentionally lean into that, getting on their level, trying to figure them out, having fun with them, doing some simple little engagement opportunities, those, those grandkids love that, and you're making memories. Here's the deal. You're passing on a model that those kids will not forget when they become grandparents. So the model we exhibit, I think, is going to be carried forth. Um, so intentionality is a big word with regards to this intergenerational. If we're intentional with grace to the younger generations, they'll grow to be a little more intentional with grace towards us, mm. older generation. Yeah, that's good right So there. we are the older ones. We have to chart the course mm. and, and set the culture. And, and, uh, and the kids will hunger for that as they get to see we love them. Nice. Yeah. So and um, as a church, how can we kind of uh, connect with Boise Bible College after this? We're really mm. glad that you came out oh, yeah. um, this, this Sunday. Can we give him a thanks, a round of applause? He did good. Yeah, yeah. I knew he would. Uh, so, so where can we connect with you and Boise Bible College after this? I'll be right in the lobby with my wife, Nell. Um, we have, um, you can check our website out. Um, love to come host you at Boise. Come through. We'll buy you some coffee in our coffee shop there. Uh, or there's one thing that I could just appeal to you uh, as, a, as a school really trying to equip the next generation of leaders for the church um, to really pray with us about that because we want wisdom and discernment to know how to do that as a generation coming up is going to be a little different than the previous generation. How do we do that best? Um, and I would appeal to you to be praying for your kids or your grandkids. Are you calling them Jesus? Because we'll recruit the kids that are called. We don't do the calling. Does that make sense? We'll pick the fruit off that the Holy Spirit's blossomed out of your family. And if you will pray for the, for the next generation of, of intercultural missionaries or pastors at churches, then that's what we do. And if they're called, then get out of the way and release them to what the Lord might want to do. And we'll be your strongest ally as a, as a family, a parent and grandparent. But that's where it's going to start. We, we don't do the calling. If you'll commit to praying and surrendering your kids to what the kingdom might, um, their role might be in the kingdom and Jesus might have for them, then we're there with you alongside you for that next phase of preparing and equipping. If you'll do that, then uh, um, we'll be doing it together. Thank you very much. Thanks for yeah. the opportunity to be with you guys.